Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. I am Heather Monthy, host of the Learning with Drones podcast, part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 114 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in today's episode, we've got G Suite Basics for Remote Learning. We know that there are a whole bunch of you that are getting into G Suite and Google Classroom for the first time. And we also know that there's a whole bunch of you that are supporting those people. And so in this episode, we're going to break out some of the basics that you need to know Or if you're working with some of those new users, those are the things that they probably need to know. Of course, we've also got Google News and updates. We've got feedback from our listeners and some questions. And of course, a couple of blog posts. So are you ready to get started, Casey? Let's do it. Okay, y'all, let's jump into some news and updates. And the first thing I want to make sure everyone knows is that Google has extended the availability of using Google Meet Advanced Features until September 30th. So they went ahead and just extended it even further. So most everybody knows, because you're trying to figure out how to use it right now, that we can use Google Meet for those video chats with our students. So we've got that extension. They have also added the ability to start a Meet video chat inside Google Classroom which was huge. Like everybody was really excited. They had integrated these two things. So let me give you the lowdown on on how this works. When you go into Google Classroom and you click on your settings for that class, that little cog wheel thing that you see in the top right, you will now see the option to toggle on the, um, the meet and have it visible to students and to generate that link. So that link is supposed to, I say supposed to because I'm still crossing my fingers, everything's working the way that they say it's going to work, but it's supposed to be that re, uh, that nicknamed meeting that students can't rejoin once everybody has left, which has been one of our big issues with Google Meet. So you do have to have this feature turned on by your G Suite administrator. So if they haven't enabled it yet, you're not going to see that option I think it is pretty much rolled out, at least by the time this this episode airs, that you'll be able to do that. And then you'll be able to copy and paste that link into an assignment and put it wherever you need to put that link for students to access it. 
Now, they're also trying to make sure everybody understands what they're doing to protect these video conferences, which has become top of mind right now. So in the article that I'm reading, which, by the way, is from the um, keyword blog on Google, they have all of the details of the data being encrypted, the standards that they're meeting, um, the meeting ideas 10 characters long <laughs> with 25 characters in the set. So it's difficult to make an unauthorized attempt. So they're trying to add those extra characters to make it even harder. And they are supporting compliance requirements around the regulations of COPA, FERPA, GDPR, and HIPAA. So all of the alphabet soups are getting mixed into this. So they're really <laughs> trying to make sure that we are protecting students. There's a lot of additional information in here that I just don't want to read it all to you, but they are also trying to help keep educators and students safe throughout this process. So they have added some of those additional features. Now, along that same lines, we've also got a couple of tips. This is a post on the keyword blog called Five Tips for Effective Distance Learning during school closures. And basically what they did is they talked to a variety of people in different roles in education to try to get their best tips. And so real quickly, here are the five tips that they suggest. Number one is to continue live teaching online. And so, you know, that means whenever you get the opportunity to meet with students in a video call, um, you know, there's a lot of the things that we used to do in the classroom that we can continue to do uh, live with students. Although I would I would throw in just personally that if we can keep those <laughs> as brief and concise as possible, that would be great. Um, I've heard horror stories of kids being on hours and hours of video calls and um, that's, that's not good for anybody. Um, number two is to create digital office hours. So if you've got students that are working on things for you and, um, they might need a little bit of, uh, face-to-face -face help having those office hours where you're going to be accessible, um, could be really helpful. And of course they suggest, um, creating those through Hangouts Meet and Google Calendar. There's actually a, uh, a video walkthrough that, that shows you how to do that. Number three is to use offline features to support students with limited or no home internet access. You know, those Chromebooks are really good for this. Um, they're basically built for obviously using G Suite, but also using them offline. And so as long as your admin hasn't uh, disabled any of those features, there's a lot that students can do when they're offline, um, including start new files. And um, you know, while they're online, they can save files to use later. Number four is to build a digital learning hub, you know, making something as simple as Google Sites and then putting a bunch of learning resources there. And then even including student work, too, you know, it starts to look like a digital portfolio that way. And then the fifth one is to provide one on one guidance remotely. And you don't even have to do that um, synchronously or when everybody's on a video call at the same time. You can use a video recording tool like Screencastify. You know, that's one we've talked about a lot on the on the podcast where you can do a quick screen recording and send it to a student. And then that way they can see exactly what you're talking about. So lots of good stuff when it comes to this whole uh, distance learning thing. And those are some tips that you can use. Yeah, I feel like Google has really stepped up to help in a lot of different ways and not just in education. I, I, I don't know if you've had this. I got an email yesterday I have one of the Nest cameras and it. I got the email from Google that they were taking down 
the high definition streaming temporarily to help give them more bandwidth for everything else because of the oh, strain wow. that they're getting on everything. And I just thought that was pretty interesting. And it was pretty smart. You know what? You don't you don't have to see your Nest camera in high definition to see what you need to see. So um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord, it's not in 1080. I can't handle it. OK, well, we can we can deal with that if it helps other people. So I think everything is just being stretched so far, but I do appreciate everything they've put out for education. And the next thing I'm going to share is another blog post from the keyword blog about accessibility features for distance learning during these school closures. And there are a ton of ideas in here. They've got a whole section on just how to help students stay organized and get work done. Those are pretty general recommendations like, you know, organizing their assignments in Google Classroom, Google Keep, Google Drive, using Google Calendar to keep tracks, track of things. But they've also got some tips for students and parents to create a space for learning. And so for every student, this is important. But for some students, this is particularly important. And finding that special space and time to focus on schoolwork. So dedicating a space, even if it's small, for learning time. And for a lot of students, that means we need to avoid windows, open doors, and noisy areas. Suggest that students with attention challenges sit on swivel chairs if they're available um, or have those fidget toys to help them focus. And of course, students using text-to-speech tools, they can use headphones if you have those available, and they're especially if they're listening during a video class with other students. And then they've also just mentioned some of the features that I know we've mentioned on the podcast before, but those accessibility features that are built into Google that may be particularly helpful right now, like using the caption feature in Meet or in Google Slides so that students who are deaf or hard of hearing or even those who are just learning English can still make sense of what's happening. And it might even be kids in a noisy home because we know we got some cabin fever going <laughs> on right now. Um, also recommending to record your presentations in Meet using Screencast-O-Matic or Screencastify so that students can watch. Sometimes it's re-watching that's helpful for those students too, even if they were there live. And of course, um, they have their Teach From Home distance learning page that we've now mentioned several times. It has tons of additional resources there for you. Yeah, these are some really good tips, um, especially the fact that they're covering executive functioning, you know, like um, helping kids uh, stay on task and get things done and manage their workflow and everything. There's some really good ideas in here. So, And then finally, this is a really quick one, but sometimes people ask Casey and I how we know about all of the new things that are happening in Google. And so we're going to let you in on the secret. And guess what? We've let you in on the secret before. We kind of let you in on the secret every single episode. Whenever we say this comes <laughs> from the G Suite Updates blog, we're like dropping the secret. So if you haven't subscribed to the G Suite Updates blog, it's really easy to do that. So we do have a link in our show notes, or you can just simply go to gsuiteupdates.googleblog.com. That's the place. Whenever new things drop in G Suite, that's the place that it gets announced. And there's even a button along the right that says subscribe by email. And then that way you'll get emails whenever there are new things. Now, granted, they're not all going to be perfectly tailored for you. It's going to send you a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, lots of different updates. But if you want to make sure that you get the newest stuff, that's probably the best place to go is the G Suite Updates blog. 
And so, of course, you can get any of the links that we were just talking about, as well as anything we talk about on this entire episode, by going to our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 114. So in today's episode, we're going to go back to basics, at least to some extent. Um, we found that during this remote learning time, we've got lots of folks who are new to G Suite and new to Google Classroom. Um, I know Casey and I were talking uh, before we came on air about all of the volume of questions that we've been getting and that we've been seeing from people, which is good. You know, it's good that we've got some folks that are that are getting used to this and um, some of them that are being brave and trying it out. But we've also started to see some commonalities in those questions. Um, these are the kinds of things that we see on a regular basis. And so we thought it would be a good idea to take a dive into some of these basics um, for a couple of reasons. One, if you're listening to this and you're still sort of newer to using Google tools, this could be really helpful. For two, if you are sort of an intermediate user that's been using it for a little while, some of these things may be the ones that have kind of slipped through the cracks. And these are the things that'll make you go, well, why didn't someone teach me that? Why didn't I ever learn that? And then three, if you're the kind of person who is a leader, who is, you know, like in a coach role or something um, where other people are relying on you. These are the kinds of things, like we said, that we see a lot in questions and comments. And so these are the things that you might want to take a little bit of extra time uh, just to make sure that your newer users or that your uh, ones that need a little refresher are, are getting some, some coverage on. So these are, these are maybe the ones that you want to focus on. I have to agree, you know, my inbox and pretty much every social media platform that I have is full of questions. And a lot of these questions you can tell are coming from more novice users just by the way that they're worded. And so I've been trying to create or go back and even update some of my older resources just to make sure that these are available. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to forget the things that we just automatically do in Google now, we forget that some people just haven't ever done that before. So I think these are good reminders. And, you know, one question, and I try not to laugh, I really try not to laugh, but sometimes when people ask questions about Google Classroom, they're not talking about the application. <laughs> they don't understand that Google Classroom is its own application, that it doesn't just mean you using Google tools. And so they call everything Google Classroom. And, it, you know, we we try to try not to laugh in front of anybody, but I do understand where that comes from. And it is kind of a confusing name for some of the applications because it doesn't exactly say what it does. So with all of these new users jumping in, one thing that I have noticed is the request for access on my free templates filling my inbox every single day. And I realized this has been a problem ongoing, but definitely has ramped up since we have been in this new remote learning situation where teachers are suddenly just searching and scrambling, to be honest, to find anything that they can do with their students and how to get it online. So a lot of the templates that Matt and I have on our site are in a Google format. But they're also available with different types of links. And a lot of teachers don't know what to do. In fact, I had an email this morning. I'm trying to download your tic-tac-toe board. 
Well, and even the fact that they use the word download is not even the right vernacular because in Google, we just make a copy and we save it to our drive. And so some of those basic skills, just knowing to go file, make a copy is a really good reminder. Um, Just, you know, to share that with teachers, I created a video of how to how to use those free templates and how to assign them in Google Classroom, because sometimes they end up on the viewing only. And if it's a public anyone can view, they don't even have to have a Google account to see it. So they may not even have Google or know that they have Google. So sometimes we have to back it up a little bit. And then how to use those template links that have that button that you can click on. And when you click on that button, it magically makes the copy and adds it to your drive. But it also depends on what device they're on. So this can get pretty complicated. And I think sometimes we forget that every teacher doesn't have things set up. So they may have maybe using Google a little bit at school, but they don't have it set up on their phone. And they're trying to open one of these templates on their phone and they don't know why it doesn't work. And so we have to go back and share some of that and help teachers understand how to use all of these tools across their devices, understanding what to do with those links. So um, in our show notes, I'm actually going to reference another episode we did back episode 95 on how to create an assigned template. So if that's something you need assistance with, we have a whole episode about it. And then the video that I mentioned, um, how to use Google templates and assign in Google Classroom, because that's the other thing. I've had my templates assigned to students who then start requesting access. Mm. So I get these emails from those random student email addresses, you know, that have all the numbers in it. And then I, I was like, oh, no, what did this teacher do? So, you know, take a deep breath. It's okay if you have done that. It's okay if you don't know how to do that at the moment. You need to make your own copy before you assign it in Google Classroom. And that is a big reminder that every teacher needs to understand who's new to that. So when they find something, and even if they add it to their drive, it doesn't belong to them. Google Classroom should prompt you to make a copy. I usually get the little warning sign that says you are not the owner of this, but I don't think that completely works for everyone. And I don't think they notice it every time. So just some quick reminders that some of these basic skills, you know, being able to use this, because there's some great templates out there right now, you know, these schedules and these different types of things that are helping students and teachers manage this time. So just just coming back and making sure that everybody knows some of those basic skills. File, make a copy is your best friend. Hashtag file, make a copy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's it's like if, if you're the owner of the file and, you know, whenever you see somebody else's template or somebody else's file and you don't have one, you don't have it yourself, but you're viewing it. Um, when you're, when you become the owner of it, when you file, make a copy, you become the owner of that file. And then you're able to do whatever you want. You know, you can manage the sharing settings. You can share it. You can adapt it, whatever, but you got to make that copy first. I always connect it to the, um, you know, the master copy that we would use with photocopy machines. Like, you know, the, the master copy, you don't want to make a, you don't want to write on that. You don't want to do anything to that. Um, but you do want to make a copy of it for the students. And so it's kind of the same way in, in some, in some, right. So, um, really glad that we covered that. I know another one that I, I seem to see an awful lot has to do with the different kinds of comments that are available in different places in the Google sphere. And so, especially when you're working within Google Classroom, there are a handful of different 
places where you can make a comment. So I thought I'd touch on just a few of those and, you know, which, which ones are, are most helpful, uh, in different, in different places. So number one, you've got your class comments and these are the ones that are public facing. So, well, public facing being like class facing. So if you create an assignment and, um, it shows up, you know, it, it shows up in Google Classroom, your ability to make a comment on that um, assignment or that announcement. And that's a place where anybody can, the teacher and the students or whoever can write comments that everybody else can see. So this is kind of like having a discussion up in the front of the room, the teachers there, the students there, everybody can hear everybody else. And so this is really helpful if you want to have you know, comments that pertain to everybody. Now, if we think about it from, you know, through the lens of that traditional classroom, if the class comments are like a class discussion where everybody's up there, you don't want to have every single discussion within earshot of everyone. So that's where you've got private comments too. And so private comments are the ones where you call a student over to your desk and in quiet tones, you talk to them about, their assignments so that not everybody else can hear. Private comments are very much for that. And so, you know, again, within the within a Google Classroom assignment, when you go into the student's assignment, you have private comments. And that's the place where you can have that individual one-on-one discussion. So those are, of course, are different than class comments. You wouldn't want to put the sensitive information of, you know, feedback to a student in a class comment. And you wouldn't want to say something that everybody needs to hear within a private comment. But then there's even, you know, there's a variety of places where you can put comments. But another one that's useful to know is you've also got comments that you can put into an individual file. And so if you bring up a document or a slide presentation or a spreadsheet, within that file, you can drop comments in there too. And that's really nice if you want to do that pointed feedback to a specific sentence or a specific word or a specific image within a file. You pull that comment up and you stick it in there. So if the comment goes specifically to a part of the file, that's where you want to use those in-file comments. Um, if it's a comment that you want to give the student generally about their assignment, you want to do that in a private comment inside of their assignment. And then you've also got the class comments, which go to everybody. And so understanding the difference between those and saying, you know, so that you're not just saying, oh, use the comments. Well, there's lots of different ways to use comments. And those are those are just a handful of, of some of the most useful ones. And you did a great job of explaining that those comment features are fabulous. But many teachers do get confused on what goes where and how do you see it and how do you get back to it? And you can always go back into Google Classroom, go to the um, assignment page when you click on that assignment name and view the assignment that's where you can see and respond to those private comments. And I think private comments is probably one of the best features inside Google Classroom, giving us that instant communication and private communication with our students. So it's particularly helpful right now. Something else that I've noticed is with so many new users, a lot of teachers who've maybe been using Google for a little while understand how to assign a, a a document inside Google Classroom and it magically shares it for them. But a lot of teachers don't understand what that share button really does and all of the different levels of sharing. So 
I updated a guide I made about three years ago, um, the guide to Google Drive sharing, but really it applies to all of those things that we use that have that little magic share button and being able to share it, understanding, you know, what that shareable link is. And in most cases, districts default it to be anyone in your district can view Um, Those types of things, just breaking that down between like just inviting individual people, sharing it within your school district, sharing it beyond, making it anyone with the link, and then all the way to public and what that means. That to me is really a something that a lot of teachers just don't grasp right now um, as they're new to Google. So that might be handy. I'll have a link to that in the notes as well as a Google Doc that I update periodically. And because Google changes things all the time, I have to update it quite a bit. And it's about what is G Suite. And a lot of teachers don't understand kind of the basics, you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, um, that it's not all just called Google Classroom. We've got this suite of applications. We've got the core applications, and that's constantly changing and adding to or changing names as I am still trying to adapt to the fact that we're calling it Google Meet. And I'm forever going to feel wrong about saying (laughs) that. But (laughs) adding those additional, um, some of those additional uh, services that we can use, their terms of service, what that means, that's come up a lot. In fact, um, many people have been asking me, like Google Meet, is that covered? You know, can I use that with the under 13 group? And technically under Google's terms, anything under the core services can be used with any student. So, but keep in mind, they kind of flip and change that around on what falls under core services. Now, the other thing is Google's not really taking responsibility for all of the other laws and regulations you may have in your school, in your state, wherever you are. So we still have to pay attention to that. But that what is G Suite document will outline and tell you, like, here's all the core services. Here's what they do. You know, a lot of teachers just don't know what's available to them. You know, they look at the waffle and they think those like six or nine things they just see at the top are it. And so being able to understand, oh, I didn't know I had access to this at my fingertips. And oh, I can use this all with the same login. Can my kids use this? Yes, your kids can use this. So just having those good reviews of what is this, how to share it, you know, how to find answers, how to communicate with your students. (laughs) And the other thing that I just have to throw in there is, you know what, we got to know where to find our answers. And a lot of people are relying on people like, Matt and I, but also on on the tech leaders that are probably listening to this podcast. And sometimes it's really hard <laughs> not to get irritated when they didn't try to Google it first. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes when I don't know the answer, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to Google it. And when it pops up at the top of the search, you're just kind of like, couldn't you? It would have taken you less time to just Google it instead of composing this email to me. So it reminded me of a funny tool that exists that many of you may know about. It's called Let Me Google That For You. And what it does is it looks like a Google search engine, but it records a screencast of you typing in the keywords and then the results. And then you can send that video to somebody so they can learn how to search for things themselves. I've never sent that to a teacher. Um, That's just, you know, between... 
between you and the 1 million downloads or however many we have right now, but just reminding teachers how simple it is to find answers. And the number one place that I go is support.google.com. You can find so many things there. So when I'm trying to figure out what's going on, uh, oh, where is that? Where do I click? I know that's in there. Did they change it? And they're very good now about updating the support pages when new features roll out. So that new um, Meet feature inside Google Classroom is also in the um, support file. In fact, that's what it kind of got leaked because that popped up before they announced it. So just remembering that all of that is there for you, the G Suite updates blog, all of the things that we've talked about here. Yeah, and we've got lots of links to all of this. So if you've heard something that seems relevant that you want to get some more information to, you can always head to our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 114. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. Let's jump into the mailbag. So y'all have filled it up and have some great questions for us. Our first question comes from Jennifer Isaacs, and she is struggling with Google Classroom. So Jennifer says, all the videos show me to click on the three dots and I can move my assignments up or down, but mine aren't like that. I only have three options and they are edit, delete, or copy link. So I think maybe Jennifer is looking at something a little bit different. So Jennifer, first of all, I'm not sure if you're on mobile, if you're on the desktop, but you can easily rearrange your assignments just by clicking and dragging. And you should be able to do that no matter what you're on, whether you're on mobile or if you're on the desktop. So I'm not sure why you're not seeing those three dots, but um, the three dots next to the assignment is usually where you can find that, but it only lets you move it up or down and clicking or dragging is easier anyway. So that's my recommendation. I hope that helps you um, get your assignments in the right order, Jennifer. Yeah, that's super easy. That's a that's a real quick fix. So hopefully that will help her out. Um, the next one we have, this is a question from Kat Benny that she sent in via email. And she says, I'm looking for a way for me to share my screen, which would have a lesson with my students when we're having a virtual meeting. So virtual meeting, video call, and she wants to be able to share her screen. She says, my laptop is older and I do not have a webcam. So I'm using my iPad. Is there a virtual meeting platform where I can share my screen with them while we talk about the content? And is there a tutorial for that? Interesting that she mentions this because there is an answer to this that came in in the mailbag as well. And so uh, what Kat is asking about, basically the details as far as I see them, is that she's got a laptop that, you know, she's got a laptop that doesn't have a webcam, but she's also got an iPad that does have a webcam. And so um, this could actually work really well with this other suggestion. So hold that thought for just a second. And I want to introduce you to Nicole Blake from South Bend, Indiana. And she's got a really cool idea that works with Google Meet. So Nicole, take it away. This is Nicole Blake from Northwest Indiana. And I wanted to share how you can make a document camera with your computer, smartphone, and Google Meet. So you want to start with a Google Meet on your computer. Then join the same Google Meet from your smartphone. You set your smartphone on a stack of books or something tall so you can have the camera hang over the edge. So now what you do under the phone camera is now on your computer screen. 
Then you can start recording your computer screen with your favorite screencast extension to save and share the video. I will also share the link to the video I created to show how it's done. Have a great day. Okay, so how cool is that? Basically creating a document camera with a smartphone and you just add that smartphone to a Google Meet call that's already going on on a laptop. Here's the reason we put these two together. I think what Kat could do is she could host the Google Meet meeting on her laptop and share her screen with the laptop. But then she could also take Nicole's suggestion to call into that meeting with her iPad and she could use that for her camera. So that's just one way to work around it. There's lots of other ideas um, I'm sure that that could work with this too. And if you've got a suggestion for, for Kat or for other people who are trying to work through something similar to that, please do head to googleteacherpodcast.com and send us a message. We would love to share some some other ideas when it relates to that. And so we've got one other quick thing that that we wanted to share. Um, on a previous episode, uh, we had talked about how Screencastify was making their premium features available to school users. And we've had a couple of messages from people about that. Um, and so we've got a link to the Screencastify post about getting that uh, free access. So we do have a link to that. That's something that you, um, you go to this page and you can sign up for and, and hopefully they'll be able to take care of you. So of course you can find that and anything else we've talked about on the show at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 114. So just recently, I published on the Ditch That Textbook blog a post called 10 Live Video Streams for Students. So this is something where if you want students to be able to join some live streams, to be able to see a variety of things, you know, there's uh, zoos and aquariums, there are uh, like free cooking lessons and just all sorts of things that students can do through these live streams. Um, there's an awful lot of them that are out there right now. And so uh, this is an act, this is basically giving you access to a whole bunch of them that you could potentially provide to your students. And then I've also got a link in here about how to use Chromebooks offline for e-learning. This is a post that I wrote a while back and it goes through a lot of the basics of how to set your Chromebooks up, how to set things so that they're accessible offline and some of the different tools that work on your Chromebooks, even if they don't have Wi-Fi access. And um, so there's that and a variety of other resources that could be helpful to you during this remote learning time. I, we're, we're both catching up. We've got a couple of weeks worth of resources. So I'm going to hit the highlights. I've already mentioned a couple of the ones that I have updated. The Guide to Google Drive Sharing, which is a free PDF download. And I created a video to go along with that, as well as the What is G Suite for Education, where you can get that Google Doc and see all of those details. But I recently interviewed Christine Pinto and Jessica Toomey on the Shake Up Learning Show talking about le home learning strategies for primary students. And I'm telling y'all, they are so amazing. And the things that they are doing just totally blow my mind. And I promise you, even if you don't teach primary, you're going to learn something from these two. It's a really, really informative episode. I also have the uh, video on how to use Google templates and assign in Google Classroom. So if you've got some teachers who need that or need this episode, please feel free to pass that along, as well as some practical tips for remote learning during school closures, just breaking down some of the things 
based on the information that I'm seeing out there, based on the decisions that I'm seeing schools make, good and bad. I'm um, just getting that out there. And of course, I've got a, a homepage for all of the remote learning resources for you as well. And all of these links are, of course, in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 114. I know everybody is, is still in survival mode. We're counting down the days, but we are here for you and we are trying our best to help create resources to help you get through this. So please keep leaving us those speak pipe messages and letting us know what you need help with. And if you haven't clicked that subscribe button, we would love it if you would subscribe so that you get notified when new episodes come out. And as we mentioned earlier, if this episode was useful to you or if you think there's some teachers who need this, please pass this along so other teachers can learn along with us on the Google Teacher Podcast. So that wraps it up for another episode, and we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that G Suite power and may the Googles be with you. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.